You're listening to the Frugal Spender Podcast, where we have conversations about the one thing you've always been told not to talk about, personal finance. Hey guys, and welcome back to the Frugal Spender Podcast. This is episode number 42. Today I sit down and have a conversation with Emma, who is a teacher but also the creator of the Instagram account InvestM. We both started creating content on personal finance around about the same sort of time and it's been really good and interesting to follow Emma on her financial journey. On her page, Emma is documenting her progress to financial freedom and early retirement and provides really useful posts on all things personal finance related. This was a really great chat and I think you're going to enjoy it too. Before we get into it though, if you do get any value from the podcast, please consider leaving it a five-star rating or give it a review on whichever platform that you are currently listening on. That would make me really happy. Okay, without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Emma, welcome to the Frugal Spender podcast. How are you? Hello, and thank you for having me on the podcast today. Um, I'm really good. Um, Yeah, happy to be here and looking forward to having some chats about all things financial Yes, we, I mean, our paths cross quite a lot. I mean, I've been in this space now God, for like nearly three years. And I think I can't remember how long it's been since I've been following you, but it seems like a similar time that we've been creating content yeah. about personal finance and stuff. But if for anyone who's listening, who doesn't know who you are, and haven't heard of you, would you mind just giving a bit of a background about who you are and what you do? Yeah, so I run the Instagram page InvestM and um, I'm basically, I'm a secondary school teacher and I live in Essex and almost three years ago now, so in 2020, in June 2020, I started investing during the pandemic. I found investing, started investing and I was, as I'm sure many people really are, when they start out investing, I was so worried about the risk of investing and putting money in and losing it in the stock market because the kind of the message I got growing up not from my parents but just from life the kind of ideas and attitudes I got towards investing was that it's dangerous it's risky it's all about buying and selling and you know it's you know you could you lose your money at the drop of a hat so when I started investing I was like so conscious of the risk I thought I'm going to start my Instagram page to actually document how it's going from my own point of view my own benefit to see like is it working is it worth it um, and also to show others and it's kind of the showing others I did really more start it for myself but then the showing others has kind of like developed on from that and that's how my page has grown and I talk a lot about investing and um, obviously not financial advice but just sharing what I do and lots of other things around personal finance that I've learned on the way, like creating the Instagram and being part of that online community has educated me so much in the last two, three years about personal finance, things that I had no idea of. I'd never heard of a lifetime ISA before I started Instagram. Now I have a, a lifetime ISA and I pay into that regularly. So that's just one of many things that I've learned about. That's awesome. Yeah, it just holds you accountable, doesn't it? It's a bit like if you ever, I don't know, want to lose weight or go to the gym or whatever, if you just like put it out there to the world and tell people about it, it holds you accountable and keeps you motivated day to day to continue to do, you know, the thing that is that you want to do. I, I was the same. Like I had no idea that a stocks and shares ISA existed until 
I don't know, it's probably even a few weeks before I kind of like went deep into the financial stuff. I just feel like, I mean, I've talked about this on the podcast all the time, but I just, I just find it ridiculous that the average person doesn't know that a stocks and shares ISA exists. Like you just know a cash ISA, all you hear about is a cash ISA. Um, maybe it helped to buy ISA kind of when it was in existence that it was kind of, that was kind of out there pushed by companies obviously trying to get, I mean, the, the big developers are trying to get you into buying their houses probably pushed that. But I just think, it's just not in the day-to-day Instagram FYP. Like it's it's only people who, um, and that's the question I want to ask you actually, people who create content about this kind of stuff, me, you, and there's several others and popping up every single day, we get surrounded by the, our FYPs, I mean, mine definitely is, is just other finance content creators who are talking about, you know, this is your ISA deadline, um, trying to keep themselves motivated, but also trying to keep other people motivated. I sometimes feel like, and I fall into this trap of trying to create content that kind of not necessarily rivals other people in the same space, but or I, sometimes I feel like my content just reaches, especially on Instagram, just other people like you who um, create content as well. And like my inf- the information that I'm trying to put out there isn't for you because you know this stuff. Like, but I find like a lot of the people who who are quite big in this space are often shared and the comments and stuff are all people in a similar space. And I know that's good for a community, but I always think like, is this stuff reaching the people who need it? Is this reaching the people who don't know what a stocks and shares ice is? And sometimes it does because like a, a, a post or a reel or something goes pretty viral. And then obviously tens of thousands or hopefully hundreds of thousands of people see it who didn't know this stuff. Do you find out that with your stuff? Do you find like, is, is, there, is there a good balance between a community of finance content creators and people, just the average person who, who wants to learn this stuff? Or, you know, what's the, what do you think the ratio yeah. is? I That's a really good point. And actually, I do feel that as well. Like, if you look at people who comment on my posts, often it is the other finance creators in the most part. Mm. But then you do get the occasional person send you a message and be like something along the lines of, you know, um, I, I want to open a stocks and shares ISA. What, who do you have yours with? Or like, I'm really glad I've come across your page. I've shown it to my husband or wife and we're trying to do this. And so I think the thing with the content creation where you see the other creators supporting you, which is good because it helps the algorithm and so on. I think there is a lot of other people actually who are sitting back and watching and mm. they may not be commenting, but actually they are there and they are taking it in and people out there are seeing it i mean i've got just over five thousand followers now and there's not five they're not five thousand content creators so they are there there are people there that are seeing our message and maybe as i say they're not communicating with us necessarily but people are seeing it yeah no you're definitely right i just think the average person maybe isn't vocal isn't vocal and isn't kind of they don't just message everyone that kind of reaches them and so yeah no that's definitely true then how do you find though like for me a motivation thing we're talking before we started recording trying to trying to put out useful content regularly is not an easy thing to do it's not it's not just oh i have an idea spend five minutes doing it you kind of like especially once you've been doing it for a while rather than like kind of going over the same sort of financial stuff that you talked about, you want to try to be innovative or try and put, portray a message in a way that gets through. How do you, how do you stay motivated to, to kind of put that information out? Yeah. I mean, I'm very up and down with it at the moment. I'm, I'm doing quite well. Um, but sometimes I do go through slumps where I'm like, I have no ideas, no inspiration. 
Um, I tend to just use inspiration of Instagram quite a lot. So like saving posts that inspire me, looking at news, like financial news and things that just crop up or like conversations and things that are kind of current. Um, so quite recently I did a post about retirement and the age of retirement. And that just all came from, because I have the Sky News notifications just pop up on my phone automatically. And one popped up last week that said about the UK retirement age raising to 70. And I was just like, oh my goodness. So I just took a screenshot and shared it in my story. And like so many people like come back on that story and like were DMing me about it and like shocked and as they should be. So I did a post about retirement ages across the world and when I posted it I was like "Hmm, I don't know if this is that interesting but I'll put it out there because I've made it now and it took me a while to make Mm. and uh, then it had really good engagement so I was like oh okay it's one of them things that you never really know what's going to work but um yeah I just sort of find trying to keep on top of current trends and Mm. things that we're talking about is quite helpful yeah and it is so it can consume you kind of like i find i listen to a lot of podcasts a lot of financial podcasts but also sort of just everyday podcasts and to con- you have to consume so much information to then kind of think oh that's interesting and then go oh, i think people should know about this and then distill it down so it does require a lot of work so anyone who's listening who thinks it's easy to create content online i can assure you it is not and the post that you talked about actually i, th- I find that really interesting i didn't i'd never seen it kind of Put, put forward in that way before and it is quite sad to see how high our retirement age is relative to the rest of the world yeah no definitely um i had to say but it's gone out of my mind now i'll come back to it <laughs> as far as like retirement age goes obviously as well this is the excuse the government uses anyway is as life expectancy increases then so should your retirement age you know i mean who knows re- the real reason is it because they want to not pay out as much money i'm sure that is the real reason yeah um that- what would you say is from from like the average person sort of 20s 30s nobody's thinking about that everyone just goes oh that you know it's, it's gone up from 68 to 70 or whatever it's going to go up to in the future it's it's such a distant thought. It's like when I'm when I'm seventy or sixty eight, I'm gonna you know I'm probably gonna own my own house. So I'm, you know all my equity is gonna be there. I'll be fine, and you know whatever whatever I pay into my national insurance, my state pension, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. What would you say to somebody who's kind of at that sort of age? That what should they be thinking about? Yeah, well, that's the thing with that post and with retirement age like you say retirement age is actually just the age at which you can take that state pension and now like people who are currently work in the world of work they shouldn't just be having a state pension they should have a workplace pension as well um so it should be less of an issue because you should be building up other savings and investments to bridge that gap so if you can't take your state pension until you're 70 um that's although it's like disappointing and like oh it doesn't really matter for me because I'm building up investment so that's not really going to be an issue because I'm going to have other things so when I actually do want to retire hopefully in my 50s um I'm going to be able to use my investment ISA first of all and then when I can draw my lifetime ISA at 60 then I can move on to starting to use that so it's about people knowing that that state pension, I mean, I think from memory at the moment this year, it's like £10,600 a year. Um, if you do the maths on that as to what that is per month, it's not very much to live off of. Yeah, you might have paid your mortgage off, um, but by the time, you know, food prices and 
bill, you still got to pay your utility bills. By the time you paid all of that and your council tax, that's never going to go away. Um, you're not going to have very much left over to do very much in your retirement. And it's that thing, isn't it? If you work, you spend your life working and you're going to want to be able to enjoy that time in your retirement, whether it's spending time with your family, taking the grandkids out or going on holiday, seeing friends, going out for meals, that sort of thing. If you're living on the state pension, those things for you would not be a reality. Yeah. I saw my 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 grandmother, she died last year, but I watched her in the last 15 years solely live on a state pension. And I just, every day I was like, I just, I do not want to be that person. I don't, I don't want to be, I mean, she didn't have a mortgage and stuff like that. So she was in a better situation than I think a lot of other people are, but it just reminds me of how people just live in the moment and they just, which is a good thing. Like, don't get me wrong. Like you don't know what's going to, you don't know what's around the corner. You need to have an element of enjoy what you have now. But so many people, especially in the Western cultures where we live in a world of credit cards and buy now, pay later, it's all very much like I want it and I want it now. Whatever happens next month is fine. It'll be, it'll be okay. People just ha like shifting that time horizon of thinking of this month, what am I going to get paid this month? And then I spend it and then I'm worried about the next month. That whole living paycheck to paycheck mindset is just all too common. And like for me, it, it took it took me reading a load of books, consuming a load of podcasts to shift like it was just like almost a aha moment of oh actually i should if i think forward 30 40 years and work backwards i can be okay now but also be confident in the fact of knowing that in the future i should be okay like i mean you don't know what's going to happen in the stock market but historically it's gone up over time it has always gone up so i'm going to take the the bet in quotes that in you know 30 40 years my money's going to increase People just don't think like that. They think, as you said earlier on, people view it as gambling. People are afraid of the stock market. They think it is this trader, Wolf of Wall Street. Right, I'm going to take a bet and put my you know, the the value of my house on this stock, and if it drops, then oh, and I've lost all my money. People, yeah. that that is what people think because of films like Wolf of Wall Street, which is a great film, but it is it's not it's not doing any good for people who are talking about investing in in index funds and taking a low risk approach to long term investing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I just, that's what, that's what motivates me anyway, to continue creating content. I don't know if it's the same for you, but it'd be good to get from a teacher's perspective of like, how, how do we inspire people? Not even just young people, just like everybody, like people in, I talk to people regularly in their forties and fifties that I think that's the moment where you start thinking, oh, retirement is actually something that is that is going to happen it becomes tangible you start thinking oh god in 10 15 years well, you know 65 maybe i'll you know the, the older people who luckily can get it earlier what am i going to do like they're going to have to downsize their house they're going to have to completely change their lifestyle and not potentially have the luxuries that they can afford now even in even at 40s to 50 they're thinking about that already what like from a teacher's perspective how 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 do you feel about that from like, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming you do not talk to your kids that you teach about money. I'm assuming you can't because it's not in the curriculum, but do you, do you think about that? Is that in the forefront of your mind? Yeah. I mean, we do in schools, we do have like PSHE kind of citizenship type curriculum. So personal finance is taught, but nothing like investing. It will be just things about difference between a credit card and a debit card and, that sort of thing and maybe what a mortgage is but it's at a very basic level and actually 
in my experience of teaching it to say like year 10 or year 11 which are like 15 16 year olds they're not interested because it is not relevant to their life at that point in time so if you're trying to tell them about credit cards and how not to get in credit card debt that's just so beyond what they can comprehend Mm. at that point in their life that that it's probably not really the right time to get them. So I do see so much, so many comments about people saying, oh, this needs to be taught in schools. But it's quite kind of a tricky one because, as I say, kids of that age, things that are so far ahead in the future to them, they just, they're just not interested in necessarily. Mm-hmm. So it's got to be done in a right in the right way um, that would actually get them at the right time, maybe more at sick form kind of A-level type age or college age is uh, when students are doing their A-levels. That could be something that's like an additional thing because there, there would be time in the curriculum to do that, to do some sort of personal finance things for students um, of sort of like 16, 17, 18 year olds who are looking to go into university and they're going to be potentially like managing their own money if they move out of home for university. So I think there is certainly room for that kind of education um I don't actually talk about it really with my students like if they were to ask me about anything like that then I certainly would but I don't bring it up with them Mm -hmm. Uh, partially because um I try and sort of keep my my account well it is I don't want it to be all the kids to be able to see my account because that's a safeguarding issue Mm -hmm. so although my account is not set to private um they wouldn't hopefully find me (laughs) (laughs) name on it Mm. and then yeah as I say it's a safeguarding issue like if we have personal accounts on social media we have to have them private because you don't want kids messaging you or seeing what you're up to all the time sort of thing so yeah it's not something I really raise with my students but occasionally if they ask then anything sort of money related then I, I do discuss things with them like last year kids were talking quite a lot about crypto um so that was interesting but yeah yeah and and scary at the same time yeah that's interesting to hear from from a teacher's perspective i guess that's 100 percent true like you can be told the information all you want from a young age but if you're not going to absorb it and you don't have anything to relate it to because obviously they're not paying a mortgage and they don't have credit cards um i wonder whether kind of like money management is probably the best way to approach it i think my i mean my daughter's nine and they kind of talk about raising money for clubs that she's in and stuff like how do we raise money and i think that's kind of an indirect way of teaching people how money works by saying well we need to raise i don't know 100 pounds for something um okay let's create some create a product let's bake some cakes or something and then we go and sell it and then like they handle the money and they go okay this is what we need this is our profit margins and all those kind of things that are are tangible to young kids that can they they may not be thinking they're learning but when they're older they can look back and they'll they'll have an understanding of how economy works to a certain degree my concern is that as soon as you get to kind of sixth form university age and you just get bombarded by banks and credit card companies because that's that's what happened to me um i didn't go to uni but i at age 18 like immediately got bombarded with, I mean, don't even know how they got my detail. I'm sure I signed, like put a, did a form of some description online. Um, but I certainly wasn't searching credit cards or anything like that at that age. And I got loads of stuff through the post, just like, yeah, oh, you, you can pretty much get accepted for this credit card that has a 1000 pound balance. And at 18 years old working, you know, a job that doesn't pay very much basically what appears to be free money to go and impress your mates by buying stuff which is what people do at age 18 
people are going to do that. And that for me was the cycle that caught me into kind of like getting into debts. You do it, you, then you think, oh, your minimum payment. Yeah, that's fine. I'll just continue to pay that. And then you go on a night out and you put more money in the credit card. And then you think, oh, I haven't spent that much money because you never look at it. And then that snowballs and snowballs. And before you know it, you've got, you know, a few thousand pounds on a credit card that it just weighs down on you. Yeah, no, I think the point you said about like your daughter at primary school, that's a really nice way to to educate with like getting them involved in projects and seeing how much things actually cost. Um, but And also in terms of credit cards, I think my dad was like my money oracle and he always said to me, you never want a credit card. So when I got to that age of 18 and I went to university and at Freshers Fair, there was like um, banks there and they were like trying to get you to sign up to things like that. I was like, no, I was actually scared of credit cards. That's it was good. only when buying my first property and they were like, oh, you need to up your credit rating a bit. That's when I actually got one um, for that purpose. But then mm. I, to this day, I re- very rarely use it. I think mm. I used it when there was a, I opened it and there was a deal for like, you could buy something and have interest free for like a year. So I did something like that and paid it straight off. And then I've just never used it since. It's just not something I regularly think to use because I've just never been in that habit. And I guess that's part of my mindset with that. Um, and often when I make, have made big purchases, I'm like, I really should have put that on the credit card because then I have that protection of the credit card. So I think there are really good things to have for that sort of extra money protection, those kinds of features. But just, yeah, the my mindset around credit cards are like, oh, no. <laughs> I think it's the better one of the two. My, mine is now that to the point where I'm like, oh, I hate credit cards. But yeah, if I was to buy a flight, we use it. We use a credit card simply because you get that extra protection, and that's something yeah. that I think, like people like Martin Lewis, do a good job of explaining the benefits of those sort of things. What I feel it, it's kind of like it's just your your mindset. You said so so well there. From a young age, if you have somebody in your household or in your family that kind of instills that early on, that's the important thing. So, like we can talk about school all we want, but there's only a, you know a small period of your of your day and or your life that you're at school. But if you have a parent that's kind of is educated enough to direct you in the right direction, because I didn't talk about money as a kid at all, not till I got to eighteen, I think, or maybe seventeen. My mum was like, oh, yeah, you should probably put some money to the side. You think by that age, you're like, whatever money comes in, I want to spend it. So if you're so impressionable at, you know, up till about 10, that's the time when you should be saying to your kids, if you have any, or, you know, nephews and nieces, try and just open the conversation about it. And it's not necessarily demonizing things like credit cards, but saying don't have a credit card has put you in the better position because you were always wary, even though you got one because you knew you needed one you were better educated, even though you necessarily weren't educated, you were just kind of given the right sort of scaremongering to keep you away from it. Definitely. One thing that you talk about quite a lot, that's quite interesting. And one that I haven't actually spent that much time. um, I mean, I've I've heard a lot of podcasts and talked to people about it before, but I've never really, um, it it didn't hook me, is the fire movement. Um, And I know that's one that you're quite passionate about. Are you able to kind of describe what that is and why it's something that interests you? Yes. Yeah, so when this, again, was something I'd never heard of until I started my Instagram account. So FIRE, Financial Independence Retire Early. So it's the movement is all about investing what you can to get to a point where you can retire early and live off your investments. So you can start withdrawing from your investments and live off of those so it's all about not thinking about that official retirement age of 68 or 70 or whatever it is but 
putting your money into investments now, letting it grow over time, um, and then being able to withdraw from that and live off of that. And that's essentially what I am doing. Um, so it's like you mentioned earlier about that long-term horizon and long-term investing. So my my reason for investing is no, by no means a get rich quick scheme. It is literally like just putting my save rather than putting savings into a savings account, I'm now putting it into investment account for it to grow over time I don't have any intention of touching it um, until I want to start stepping back from work and living off of that instead do you have a do you have a time horizon for when you want to do that yes so my kind of my worst case scenario that I'm looking at I think is 55 but we'll see how you know it's so there's so many contributing factors um of you know where life can go life can go in so many different directions so earlier than that would be nice um but things I'm sort of considering in the background are things like if we ever have children um if I grow any kind of businesses on the side and can make some more passive income that's going to support me stepping back from teaching um things like that because where I am in teaching right now so I'm at the top of the upper pay scale and I have a middle leadership responsibility. I don't want to be a senior leader. So essentially, I am at the top of where I'm ever going to get with teaching. I can't earn any more as a teacher. So in order to earn more, I need to be doing something outside of teaching. Hmm. I mean, it's a good position to be in, in the sense of your career. But equally, like you said, there's got to be ways of especially when you're surrounded by people talking about passive income, side hustles, there's a way of making, you know, all this money in your sleep and that sort of thing. It's both exciting, but also it's, I find, I don't know what you think about the side hustle culture, but I feel like sometimes it can make you feel like you're like, you need to be working your entire life as in like, you wake up in the morning for me, like when I was in the police, I, when I started this channel, it was very much like I was very passionate about it and I still am, but to the point where like I would work before I went to work and when I got home or when I was at work, I was thinking, right, okay, I can do this, can do this. Then when I get home from work, I'm solely focusing on my side hustle, but I feel like that isn't a sustainable thing. And I feel like the culture that I get back to the FYP, like Gary Vaynerchuk and all that, like I'm just constantly getting people like, you know, work 80 hours a week the only way you're ever going to make money in this life is by just non-stop working non-stop working it's trying to find that balance of like how do i make passive income versus just working my ass off all day every day yeah i mean one of the things i see that i makes me a little bit sad is when people celebrate that they got 20p from doing the survey for 10 minutes i'm like that's such a bad use of your time and don't get me wrong that was me to three years ago but I've I guess it's part of the journey isn't it I've now I value my time now so much more where I'm like any side hustles I'm going to do I'm looking at my hourly wage of what what is my time actually worth so I am now much more strict with the kind of side hustles I do and I don't do it like morning noon and night um I just have a little look now and again the kind of things I like to do um there's a, a platform called user testing and on average, you get paid about $10 to do a test that takes 10 minutes. So I'm like, yeah, that's okay. I can earn a $10 here and there. Mm. And I'll just have a little look maybe when I get in from school and see if there's anything on there. More often than not, there's nothing that I, I qualify for. But if I do, I do. And I spend 10 minutes doing that. If I don't, then I, I move on and I probably do 
half hour working on my Instagram, something like that. So yeah, I'm, I do think about my time, like for the whole of last year, I actually recorded how much I earn each month and how long I spent on it. So I worked out like my hourly wage. Wow. Uh, it was quite interesting. And I think I've got it here actually, because I've got my, my handy spreadsheet open. <laughs> I averaged £24 an hour last year. Nice. I side, awesome. which I think is not too bad. It's not the best, but it's not 20p for a 10-minute survey type of thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. God, how did you work that out? Did you log every day or did you just kind of average backwards? Like if I did a study like the user testing or a prolific study mm. i just logged how long i spent on it and just kept track of how many hours i spent each month and then against like what i earned that month that's interesting because there are, i mean there is definitely a mindset around that is kind of pick and choose what you do is it worth your time thinking of thinking of your time is your value rather than your salary or that sort of thing i find that quite interesting what i do find though with the fire movement um from my understanding of it is very much you like for a short period of time or whatever length of time you can be really really intense and save quite a large percentage of whatever money comes in so that the sooner you can get there is that is that kind of how you're thinking because i know there's different kind of like stages of fire like some really intense fire and then the, i can't remember the names of them but they're quite like well, I'm sure you probably know, but yeah. So they're more about like uh, at what point you retire. So, um, for example, lean fire means you retire, but you have to. You've only got enough to live like quite a frugal lifestyle. Hmm. Um, and then a complete opposite of that is fat fire, where you can retire on a very luxurious lifestyle. So you've invested quite a lot of money that you can withdraw from. And then you've got regular fire, and then you've got other spin-offs like barista fire where you can uh you partially retire but you still do some sort of casual work um so i mean i'm not going like full throttle putting in every penny i can i'm as i said i'm looking around like 55 worst case scenario but we'll see what happens mm. um i'm still kind of like i'm in terms of investing as well people tend to be like you invest or you overpay your mortgage and a lot of investors like well don't overpay your mortgage because your mortgage rate is a lot lower than what you're going to earn if you invest it but for me actually having that security of being mortgage free although i know it makes more sense to invest that money i actually overpay my mortgage as well and as i say because it makes sense for me to be more like financially secure as if i have a house no one can ever take that away from me um, so that's something that's quite important to me. And also the pot of money that I tend to use to overpay the mortgage is a different pot of money than I use for my investments because my I'm married, but my investments is mine. Um, my husband doesn't invest. He is not, I'm kind of like, you know, we're working on it, but um, he doesn't see it as something that's obtainable for him. Um, and what his wage is, he thinks he, he can't afford to invest his money. And um, we, we did get someone who opened a lifetime ISA and um, put some into that a couple of years ago, but then he hasn't touched it since. He's like, oh, I don't want to lock my money away until I'm 60, which, you know, that's, that's his choice and that's fine. So the money I use to overpay the mortgage is like from our joint account because we have a joint account that we use for house, food, shopping, utilities, that sort of thing. So anything left over in that pot each month is what I'm using to overpay. And then also um, because I buy like a lot of our shopping things we 
on top cashback or quick co then i put our cash back towards overpaying the mortgage as well so in my eyes that's not money i would have invested anyway so it's okay that i'm using that to overpay that's interesting it's kind of money in relationships i find is is such an interesting topic because before i started learning about this stuff uh, my wife is was very much the um sensible one she didn't she never invested but she was very much savvy never ever had debts was always thinking about like having a rainy day fund style thing um, was never in a joint account she always had her own and i was always like on zero because i was very much like let's think about now let's spend my money now and then she had that money. but as soon as i started learning about this stuff and kind of openly talking about investing she took a lot of convincing to to talk uh, talk her into doing it i obviously set it up with her consent and talking with her and and kind of like compound interest calculator and saying this is what we could do this is what we could have but it took quite a lot to convince her to do it. and even kind of i'm very happy to take risk with my money for the future um so i put it in 100 percent stocks this is not financial advice i put it into my own kind of i'm happy to risk all my money because um yeah I, I've, I think i'm comfortable enough to know i spent enough hours researching what i'm investing in to think i think over the long term it's going to do well where she's very much like whatever i'm happy to invest but it needs to be in a low low risk environment and yeah. the same same for my daughter like the money that we're putting away for her for her future um what the agreement was she would do it but it's going to be low risk so do you do you i don't want this to turn into relationship counseling but how <laughs> do, you, do you guys talk about money together yeah no we do we are, do have a very open relationship in terms of talking about money um he just as I say we earn different amounts um when we bought the house together before we were married we actually bought it in the proportions that we earn so I earned a certain percentage of the house and owned a certain percentage and he owned a different percentage and that's what we put into our joint account as well so we don't put in 50 50 we put in based on our earnings um so yeah we we are very we've always been like very open with money talks and he's luckily he's not the kind of person who has any debt or anything like that either mm. um which you know i don't it's a weird one because i don't think i i would have been comfortable getting to, into a relationship with someone with debt mm. um because of the way i was brought up um but then i guess you don't always know do you so it's a, it's a strange one but i'm very fortunate that he doesn't have any debt and um he's good at saving as well he just is he just thinks like investing isn't for him but he does like he sees what i do and i think you know over time that like we were talking about instagram earlier and those followers that are sitting back watching it and kind of absorbing things i think he's probably there and actually maybe one day things will change but um yeah otherwise he'll i guess he'll be sharing my investment ISA when I retire only. <laughs> He's going to reap the benefits either way. Yeah. <laughs> You're married now. <laughs> um, so we, we share a few things in common, one of them being content creation, but we also, I mean, I used to be in the public sector. You're still in the public sector. Um, my experience of the public sector and money um, is, first of all, it doesn't pay very well generally. Um, I'm sure you, as you're on the top of, of your of teaching, um, I think the salary is probably better than even top police, I believe it is, because I have friends who are teaching. I think the pay is better, which is good. But I think as a public sector overall, they're underpaid. Um, and I think 
um, hence the strikes. And with pensions and stuff like that, I think even still, I had a conversation yesterday with somebody about how good the police pension was. Um, and I had to really kind of break it down for them and be like, it, it really isn't that great. I mean, I, I joined the police in 2017 um, and they'd done the sort of pension reforms before that. So 20 years ago, public sector pensions were amazing. Um, and I know they've slowly eroded it away and mixing that with pension age increasing. It actually isn't that attractive anymore in comparison to what it used to be. Um, that combined with the fact that education of the people who are in the job, certainly from my um, experience, people just don't talk about money. Um, there's no advice given to you really by any sort of bodies, that the federations that kind of govern the um, whatever the sector is that you're in. Um, it's just kind of everyone just thinks, oh, this is the place to have the best pension. And like when I, when I left the public sector, that's probably the biggest most common comment that I got from people, but what about your pension? Um, and you think actually, if you crunched a number for crunch numbers for just five minutes, you realize if you did this yourself and invested the same amount of money that you were putting away, because I was putting quite a big percentage of my money. People think police pensions and, and public sector pensions is just like you work there, you get a good pension. No, you have to sacrifice quite a lot of your paycheck to get put into, into pension. Um, and I think it traps people sometimes in, mm. in the sector. And I think it's a lot of jobs, not just public sector, but public sector is because that is kind of the thing that kind of draws people to it. Um, what was your experience like? And is your experience like with people who you work with? Is, is it talked about much? What, what is the, what is the kind of like thoughts around the pension element of things? Yeah, it was funny because I was actually talking about this yesterday. I went for drinks after work with some friends and, um, we were talking about the pension and the teacher's pension on the website is not that clear what your pension is actually worth. So it's a breakdown and it says um, if you were to like leave the, the, the job now, what you would you, what you've kind of accrued to draw um, each year when you reach the retirement age sort of thing. Um, so it might say like you've accrued, I don't know, say you couldn't withdraw 15 grand a year or 10 grand a year or whatever. But it's actually very hard to find. Um, it's kind of hidden down in quite small print where it says what percentage you've accrued of your maximum allowance. Um, so the maximum allowance was like 1.07 million or something. Um, and I didn't know this until um, another Instagram account, Sibling Investing, they messaged me and they explained to me about this. So where I'd earned like now, I think I've accrued about 26% of that. So it's like 280 grand, I think, in my pension. So mm. I, but before I'd never known like what was in my teaching pension again until Instagram. Thank you, Instagram. Um, <laughs> because that information is just really not that clear. A lot of information about finance. And I think that's a lot of the barriers to so many people is the information is just not very clear. Um, kind of going off on a bit of a tangent, but I've recently registered for self-assessment because I did a side hustle type freelancing kind of job that was going to take me over the trading allowance and the process for registering for self-assessment although it was like a step-by-step -step online process the language that was used on the form I was like what does that mean and you know I, I've got a degree and it was hard to work out what some of this stuff means mm -hmm. so I think it just needs to be made a lot of finance information pensions tax investing just to, it needs to be made a lot more clearer to people really 
Yeah. I mean, you've got a degree and you have create content about money. And, and I think like now that I'm self-employed, I have to go through those processes as well. And we have, we have an accountant, but even the language they use, like when I, when I first got an accountant, one thing I said is, look, I know more than the average person about money because I spend a lot of time consuming content about it, but can you just treat me like I'm an idiot? Because I'd rather, because accounting, like personal finance, people often like people who know me, you know, what I, what I talk about on, on social media and stuff, they think I know everything about anything to do with money. So accounting, for anyone who's listening is a completely different beast. Like there are some terms in there, like you have to re- you have to do a lot, a lot of exams and you need to know your stuff and keep on top of the legislation that's changing all the time to kind of really understand accounting and how it works for limited companies and self-assessment and stuff. It is, it's not easy. So I always said, like, I wanted just treat me like an idiot. Talk to me, like te- try and teach me things as we go along. Because when you go self-employed, these are things that even if they did teach you when you're younger and you kind of learn about profit margins and stuff like that, it's, it is a completely different world. And I can see why there's a real barrier to entry when it comes to like going self-employed, why people will just go, you know what, it's easier to just be employed by somebody. Let, let, let payroll worry about how much tax I pay and national insurance. Just, just give me whatever I get paid at the end of the month. It's, it's a much simpler to do that. Obviously there's benefits that you, by self-employed, you, you know, there is no limit to what you can own, which is great, but it is so, so confusing. And every single day something comes up and I'm like, what? what what this has changed that's changed it's it is it is mind-boggling confusing and when it comes to like pensions and stuff like we say and you're talking to your colleagues about it first of all they they're kind of um there doesn't seem to be much of a culture of of like talking about money especially in the uk in general like i just don't think people talk about money very much not to like friends and family and colleagues anyway you might like we're quite if, if you follow an account like ours, people are going to be more open to to talk about it. But like people don't actually talk about actual numbers of things. But even when I left the police and I wanted to find out the, the value of my pension and whether I could port it, all these things of whether I could move it out, ex- tell me exactly when I'm going to get it and how much I'm going to get. And even to do that was, I reckon, a two-month process of emails back and forward to um, the people who are managing the police pension. And they, they always seem confused that I wanted to know this information. Like there's clearly not an, there's clearly not an open kind of dialogue between mm. the pension provider and the people. People just go, yeah, I'll pay this pension. They get the pay slip yeah. and they go, that says pension, I'm done. Yeah, no, definitely. It's, it's just that lack of clarity all over. And actually um, you said about like people who don't really mention about it and you're, you're right, they don't. I think what my my instagram has actually helped is now me and my friends we do talk about money more because they like to ask me stuff because they follow my instagram and they'll uh, like one of my friends is looking at buying a house so she was talking about lifetime ices with me and um as i say last night when we went out for drinks they were we were talking about pension and um they're like so emma tell us about this and <laughs> know that that's the kind of stuff i post about so i think just having that person in your friendship group who knows a little bit about finance can help open those conversation doors because they are happy to talk about it and be open about it it's just I think it's one of those weird subjects but I think things will improve over time and people will get more and more comfortable talking about it because of people like Martin Lewis um that the new Netflix show that's come out um I will teach you to be rich or how to how to get rich that one yeah um his book was old rich wasn't it yes um so there's and like the content creators and so on and that space is growing so i definitely think 
um, the conversations will open up more over the next few years. Yeah, I, I think I think so. Um, it's just it worries me though because at the same time, financial education is being spread more widely because of social media um, and things like on Netflix, which is great. There's at the same time like buy now, pay later, um, the ease of paying for things like on my smartwatch, I don't even have to think about it. I just tap on things and pay for it. Like I think as, as we kind of, um, improve in one area of knowledge and getting people to understand things, I feel like companies who make a huge amount of profit by you making sure you remain in debt, they're kind of going up at the same time. And I do worry about like the, the younger generation sounds like such an old person thing to say but like the the younger generations that are like getting so used to they're never probably some people have never even handled cash it's very much just like whatever's in my bank account it's just all numbers zeros and ones to them so there's nothing tangible um it's going to be quite difficult over the long term to explain to them kind of almost the value of money and make them think a bit more forward yeah you're right and i think so much of like we're earlier when we were talking about schools and education and so on i think so much more needs to um come from home um is that the way you grew up like i said before like my dad was always very a certain way of money which i think is why i'm the way i am and my brother he also like he my brother actually got me to invest in he was one who started he began and um, he said to me for months that I needed to start investing, but I just didn't have that time to kind of sit down and actually understand it for myself. And I needed to do that before I could invest. And um, lockdown actually brought that opportunity around for me because I had time um, to actually look at it. And uh, we went on a walk because we you know, uh, just, you know, that, them times where all you could do each day for social time was to go out on a walk and I, um, I said, right, tell me all about it. And it went from there kind of thing. And that's how I got into investing. Um, and I've lost my tangent of where I was going. What was <laughs> um, no, you know what? The the lockdowns as, I mean, I was still working during that time, not doing fun work, but doing, um, it, I still had a lot of spare time, obviously, when I wasn't working, I was at home, had to be trapped inside the house. I think a lot of people's finances benefited massively obviously a lot of people lost their jobs which is not a good thing but i think like many many people that i know it gave almost like this reset of like stop the rat race for a moment let's just stop everything and it just got a lot of people thinking oh okay um hopefully i mean a lot of people built up quite a bit of cash because they couldn't spend it so they're thinking oh what do i now do with this and then which led to obviously the boom and crypto and people investing in the stock market which had this massive boom which which is what was probably the inception of a lot of channels like ours because you go oh the stock market's doing really well if i make a couple of posts about it and then they all explode and everyone's really excited bitcoin's doing really well and then as soon as it kind of fizzles out which it did um you know a few months later and everything gets back to normal and then a recession hits a lot of the people who were creating content stop creating content and then there's a very few people even though there's still more people doing it now a lot of people just kind of stopped because there was no motivation to be like there was no more hype around the stock market and because it just seems like there's doom and gloom everywhere how how have you stayed motivated through that because um i know i've sort of sometimes struggled to think it's very easy to create content about 
personal finance and money when the stock market's going through the roof and there's lots of people talking about crypto and everyone's really interested. So you put a post out, it's going to get way more traction because it's in the forefront of people's minds. Whereas now we're in the middle of a cost of living crisis and there's a lot of people who are struggling and a lot of people who are just kind of like trying to live their life rather than worrying about what they're going to do with their money. Um, how have you stayed motivated from that like peak of, you know, all this interest to kind of now? I think my the things I focus my investments on have been I've moved my focus to like you said that when there was that hype I've dabbled in crypto only small amounts like in the hundreds not in four figures um but I opened a card with crypto.com back in the day a couple of years ago now and um to get that ruby steel card if any of you know what I'm talking about mm. you had to um put up front 300 pounds and convert it into crow um to get that card and then you could use the card like as a debit card and you got one percent cash back on your spending and i did that at the start and that 300 pound doubled um and then it crashed and now it's <laughs> worth 60 something pounds um i've just left it because you know it's gone now. <laughs> just forget about it yeah <laughs> uh, i from that I know some people are still like, yeah, crypto will come back. Da, da, da. I, I'm just not interested. There's just mm. too much. I don't understand it enough. And there's too much uh, volatility, too much room for m movement. Um, same thing with individual shares. Like I started around that time um, with apps like Trading212 and Free Trade. If you sign up, you get a free share. And then your free share, you see that go up a little bit. And you're like, oh, I'll buy something else. And then you, it goes up for a little while and then it crashes and then you're like, oh, yeah, not sure I should have done that. Um, but I think with index funds and ETFs and especially like global funds or S&P 500, yes, they do come down. But there's a lot of data to support that they might come down in the short term. But if you're in it for the long term, like I am, it's, it's not an issue. If they come down for a couple of months, I can buy some on sale. And then it's going to go back up and it's going to be worth even more. So I think the the way I've stayed motivated is to actually change and not really focus on those kind of small time um, like crypto and individual shares, because that's just not for me. I'm just an, I'm like an index fund investor, really. Mm. And sort of for that. That long term growth. Yeah, it's. I think it's the it's the sensible approach, isn't it? It's the one that stands the, the sort of test of time, and I think that's that's what definitely keeps me motivated as well. Because even during kind of the big boom, I was checking kind of because I invest with Vanguard. I was checking my account all the time. I have a uh, trading two one two account, and I also have some money in Bitcoin. So I was checking. I reckon every day, even though I was telling people not to do that during like when you know things or oh, what's going to happen today because it was basically gambling to a, to a certain degree because you think if i log in today bitcoin may have doubled like because at the time that wasn't something that was you know un it could, could happen it, it happened a couple of years previously um whereas now i think just automating it and letting it happen in the background and diversifying with 95 percent of my money going into index funds Again, not financial advice. Um, the majority of what I invest going into index funds and then dabbling a little bit, have a little bit of money into crypto, have a little bit of money in individual stocks. And again, like as sadly, you did lose a lot of your money. Well, you haven't lost it because you haven't sold. But, you know, it's okay to lose a little bit of money in something that you're taking a bit of a risk on. It's the same as putting a bit of money on the horses. Like, yeah, you might be, you might be up, 
but you might lose it all. So you've got to be willing to accept that that's happening. That's definitely, I think, the message that I try and portray with when I talk about investing is just stop looking at it as gambling and just choose a percentage that works for you, whatever you're prepared to put away every single month and don't even look at it. Cause now I don't look at it. Now there's that, and um, you can think you're not influenced by news all you want, but you really are. Like if on my phone, when it pops up and it's talking about, oh, stock market's up by this much and you go, oh, I wonder what my investments are worth. So you log in. So as soon as that hype dies down, it's not on the forefront of your mind and you just think, oh, actually like now it's once a month, maybe when I do a review of my, my sort of personal finance, I'll log into my Vanguard, I'll log into my trading 212 and go, oh, okay, what's my value? And then, you know, a bit like you to keep me accountable, I try and do videos about it because I'm very transparent about how much money I've invested in those accounts. Um, and that keeps me kind of focused on going, right, should I increase what I'm putting away this month? Should I put it less? And I, I'm more, I'm more happy to be flexible rather than just thinking whatever comes in, I need to invest it quick because Bitcoin might go up or, you know, the S&P 500 might blow up. It's just trying to like convince people that just, just leave it in there for the long term. Yeah. It's just, you just, like you say, it's that the, the dollar cost averaging approach, isn't it? It's just, just keep doing what you're doing and just let it be. And it, what will be, will be. Absolutely. Um, so Emma, for your sort of content that you put out there, you have an Instagram, do you have any other pages that you post on any other social media no. platforms? at the moment although you know people tell me what if instagram was to go one day what would you do but yeah at the moment um, invest underscore underscore em have you not thought about tiktok oh instagram is such a drain of my time in a way sort of um i just um, i feel like tiktok would just i I just can't (laughs) i don't trust myself realistically with because i do love social media and you know, I go I go down these rabbit holes of reels on Instagram where I just look at reel after reel of goodness knows what, and I just think, yeah, no, TikTok, it's not for me. Yeah, if if reels send you down a rabbit hole, then TikTok might not be for you because that <laughs> you could you could go into a black hole down there and spend hours. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, amazing. Well, what what do you see as the kind of future for for your account? Yes, yeah, so I'm just going to continue posting about personal finance and investing and my journey. And hopefully one day you'll see me retire early and I'll be able to document it all there and how I got there. And maybe we'll inspire people in the future to uh, invest. Amazing. Yeah, anyone who's listening, go and check out your um, your Instagram. I'll put everything in the description to go and have a look. But you do... you. You, the infographics that you put out actually are, are really interesting. I feel like I learned quite a bit, even though there's information like I might know quite a lot about, uh, I think I know a bit about a lot in this space. So it's quite good to have things distilled down into like the last put, the post that um, you talked about earlier about retirement ages. I think that kind of is a good way of putting perspective into things. So, um, and you've got a lot of, I mean, you've done quite a few posts now, haven't you? So you've got quite a lot of information for people to go and, yeah. and look back and, and learn and, and follow your journey. So um, yeah, please go and go and, give you a follow. Emma, thank you very much for your time today. I I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. It's been lovely talking to you. I really enjoyed it. You too. I'll speak to you soon. Thank you. Bye. Bye Bye.